All right, what's up, guys? So a lot of people were asking what Robert looks like, and here you go. <laughs> Take it all in, everybody. <laughs> so much. I think what, what happened was uh, that it was such a compelling story that the reason I put it on YouTube with just audio is mm -hmm. because I wanted them to consume it. I wanted them to take it all in and visualize it. And a lot of people, some people had a hard time visualizing it because they, I guess that's just the way they are. But mm -hmm. they wanted to see what Robert looks like. Well, it's not going to change the story, but here I am. <laughs> You're a real person, yeah, man. I'm a real person, yeah. So one of the questions I got was, it sounded too rehearsed. It sounded too real. And, and if you look through the internet, you can't find very much information about this. So no, yeah, it just seemed too good of a story to be true. W what do you think about that? Um, it, it's flattering, man. I mean, it, it means that I've done, I've done a, a good job in, in retaining that information. It's something that you live through and you experience. If, um, okay, well, I'll tell you what, anybody who, who would have that kind of, uh, or just be that skeptic about it, about the abilities that I have to share it or to tell it. I would I would ask them to revisit the the day their child was born. Tell me, I mean, people can tell you anything and everything about the day that that the first time they held their their baby, you know, because they remember it yeah. and and they spend a lifetime sharing that with people. Oh, I remember, and she was crying, and then I held her, and. And, and as soon as daddy, you know, cradled her, she stopped and, and, and there was silence in the room. And people can people remember stuff like that yeah. because it's a monumental moment in their life. It's a pivotal moment. Um, and I've been sharing this story with as many people as I could find that would lend an ear. Yeah. It's therapeutic for me. I get to give it. I get to get it out of my head and, and I get to give it to somebody else and give it to the universe and let them and let it just, you know, flow i know when somebody is interested and when they're interested it motivates me to give them the best of the story that i have to give because the story is worth telling right yeah no, you know so right. so is it rehearsed have i said it a million times as many times as i've said my name probably in 20 years oh um some people repress things and, 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 and don't talk about them, and, and that becomes a cancer. I talk about it as much as I can. And now that I can tell the masses with your help, well, shit, why would I, why would I do it any less justice than when I'm telling you when it's just you and I you know, sharing a, a beer downstairs? Yeah, you're right. So um, I reached out to Roland. Moya, he was, he's my cousin. He's, he was the oldest person on the boat that night. And he's very motivated. You know, he wants to, it was almost, um, he and I haven't spoken in a long time since his father passed. How long <clears throat> has that been? Um, two years. Is it two years or one year? It's been a while. And he, we just celebrated his birthday um, last week, which heavenly birthday so um aside from the proximity that they no longer live here in the Rio Grande Valley um and other family issues a lot of us lost touch and communication Roland and Leroy who are brothers um hardly speak now Leroy myself and Roland grew up together literally 
planned our children, married best friends. Like this was a family that that did everything together. Wow. Um, now that we're adults and we have uh, gained the things that we want in life, we came undone. So we don't really speak anymore. But I, I think that, again, this story is worth participation. And um, I told you this once, and I read it in a John Maxwell book. One's too small a number to achieve greatness. Yeah. And I want this to be great. I want people to understand and to be there when they listen to this. And I need Roland, and I need Leroy, and I need Tony. So that when people say, oh, man, that sounds a little... Yeah, a little iffy. Roland can snap at him, and be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, uh-uh. uh, I was there, brother. I saw that. I did kiss Robert on the top of his head. I did do this. Leroy did do that. Um, I'd love to get Tony here, man. Tony. Um, I don't want to say it was the oddball out, but he wasn't our blood family. You know, he wasn't. He was el cuñado. You yeah. Know? So we didn't have the history with him that we had amongst ourselves. And I think that because of the faith and trust I have in Leroy and Roland to fend for me, and because we have earned our stripes amongst each other, we know that we're going to jump in the water for one another. Yeah. We know we're going to you know, back them up in a fight for one another. But Tony was, had yet to be tested in our eyes. Um, and I, and, and vice versa, you know, t- Tony didn't know whose care he was under when this thing started happening. I'd love to get him on the podcast and, and see if he'd like to revisit what he experienced that night. Yeah. It'll only solidify what I've said, and it'll give us um, a different perspective, you know, a different angle of what was going on. He um, he went catatonic almost. It was difficult for him to function. He was just dazed with what was going on. Roland, Leroy, and I basically um, knew that he wasn't in any danger of falling off the boat or of hurting himself, or but he wasn't uh, going to contribute in the efforts. He took himself somewhere else yeah. and sat there. And, and at one point, he uh, it was just so choppy, and, and with every chop, it's almost as if he slid deeper into the boat until eventually he was just kind of in a fetal position trying to get away from things and then... Once things really, really stopped, he, he, you know, he stood up and then he, he kind of started tending to the people that we were bringing on the boat. And that's what I could get from my peripherals. I would love for him to tell me, no, I wasn't in the fetal position. I was doing this or, yeah. or, or yeah, I was doing, because I don't, I don't. There's so much going on. Yeah, I don't recall him being um, as engaged as everybody else in the efforts, yeah, you know? So I reached out to him, and I reached out to Leroy and Roland, and, you know, thus far, n- none of them have uh, have ponied up and come up and showed up and kind of hung out. We have a 
a lonely mic over here for yeah. them. And then we're supposed to have Roland on, and uh, obviously the Rio Grande Valley is going through some struggles right now. I don't have electricity, so yeah. everybody's going to somewhere else and trying to stay warm. So this is also a very historic time in the Rio Grande Valley. It's, it's freezing it's degrees. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's, it's crazy. A little, it's a little eerie. Yeah, it's, it's a little, a little eerie. eerie. It's like, wait a minute, man. Yeah. This is, a, <laughs> this is like the twilight zone all of a sudden. It's, in, it's in a very interesting thing because even when I, when I pushed out that... Uh, podcast the first time somebody sent me a text message that the the queen isabella was there was closed the, yeah it was closed yeah it was closed yeah and we we instigated something because <laughs> i believe that evening um that we recorded i explained to you that i was afraid to go get lost in the fog you know? yeah and after we recorded a very very well-known captain got lost in the laguna madre in the fog so um yeah you know we invoked a little bit of uh <laughs> History some emotion something, over there. Yeah. yeah, something's going on. It's a very interesting thing because when I, I'm, I'm a data analytics. I love data analytics. So when I was looking back at the numbers on Spotify and iTunes, this podcast has a massive retention rate. And all that means is that people are sticking through the whole one and a half hours of the whole thing because I don't think this type of story can be told in any other format. It has to be sitting down talking conversing telling a story and it's not a five minute story yeah, it's not no, a 10 no minute ways. story it's a 20 year story yeah so being an hour and a half i think is pretty short for what it is and a lot of people were like what's so long but you have to watch it and you it pulls you in good so it helps that that it's in this format and i think now that people are seeing you for the first time they can put a face to to an actual person and this is the guy that's telling the story well good i um, i hope it um I hope it's a story that they remember or, or are eager to share yeah. because um, I'm super enthusiastic about it, you know? And I think if you can transfer your enthusiasm from one individual to another and give them that, it's a gift. Yeah. Um, there are historians right now that are just going to be giddy over this because it's history that, that they didn't even know to write. Well, now we're documenting it. Yeah. Um, my kids are watching it and, and looking at me and, and, and telling me, wow, Dad, like I had heard the story with zero interest yeah. my whole life. I didn't care. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, the delivery, the vessel that is podcasting and, and how we listen and how we absorb information now is what it took for my children to appreciate that night. Interesting. And I also think it's it's coming out at the right time because coronavirus happened. We're in a pandemic. We're still struggling with that. Everything that's going on now, this story kind of takes people's minds away from the daily life, the mm -hmm. daily bullshit. The, the mundane. This is, yeah. yeah, the mundane. This is something that transports you to somewhere else. You can take your mind off of everything that's going on and dive into it. And I had a lot of people like, when's the next one coming out? When's the next one? So good. It's, 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 I think we're onto something very special here. And I think uh, along with your all's help, we can keep this going because we are looking for the people that, that were on the boat. We were looking for the people that were there that night. We actually, uh, one of my friends, her dad is the priest that was there that night. Pastor so Pastor Hyde. Hyde. So it's very interesting, like how many people it touched. I would, um, I would love to revisit with him, you know, and and uh, and ask him about that night. What brought him to us? You know, there were 
there were emergency units, there were flashing lights everywhere. And for whatever reason, he made his way through all of that, knowing that he had the responsibility to go and give the last rites to whoever they were recovering. And he swayed away from that and found us for. Interesting. And I'd love to ask him, how, how did that happen? You know, how, how did, uh, did you notice us? Did you see us? Because we were four and then all of a sudden we tap on the shoulder and we were five and he was there with us. So I'd love to hear his, again, his angle. Um, I guess my, uh, my goal here is to learn more. You know, if I'm telling the story, then it's the version I know, the right. version I remember. But if we had an opportunity to get Roland in here, Pastor Hyde, Bridget Goza, one of the survivors, and if I could listen to them tell me their emotions, what uh, what ripple effect did it have on your life? You know, what do you remember the most that night? It's me learning more about that evening yeah. that I'm so passionate about sharing. So maybe um, maybe this is the way I'll be able to get that because I still have questions. You know, yeah. um, I still I still want to know again. What was going through your mind, Tony? Because we never had those conversations. We were in our 20s. We went from being just regular dudes, you know, in Rio Grande Valley to being, you know, heroes. And, and the, the news wanted to talk to us and getting the key to the city. We got to meet Garth Brooks. That was an awesome story, too. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, that was cool. <laughs> um, you know, so we kind of uh, all knew what we had experienced we knew what we had gone through but nobody had digested it yet there was too many distractions there was the the court visits um the press visits visiting with our attorney frank enriquez um a lot of these things excuse me took away from our ability to just kind of uh understand what we had gone through so we never spoke about it. I never asked Leroy, like, dude, what were you thinking? Like, what, what, what was the first thing that you thought? Um, we would joke about the night here and there, like, man, you know. Um, so my brother Rick was supposed to come with us. Their older brother Leonard was supposed to come with us. Um, we joke about, or not joke, I guess joke's the wrong word, but we, we simulate may or may not have happened had just one or two individuals would have been different on the boat you know had we not done this had we not done that i'd love to hear in depth what effects it had on them right. and i'd love to hear in depth what uh what details they remember that i don't you know that i didn't maybe catch right so that's kind of what the the purpose and the point of reaching out to them is i really want to absorb as much as i can about that evening it's 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 a very interesting thing because there were so many people that it touched and so many people had different eyes eyeballs on the whole situation uh i remember my my grandpa actually uh, he's he's 92 and he was telling me well what happened to the barge and we're going to put up a picture here so you can kind of see where everything was but explain to us where you were at the beginning of the night when you you went back to actually just just explain what the layout looks like. Okay, so 
if you can close your eyes and picture that you are on the causeway heading to South Piedra Island. When you get to South Piedra Island, you have two choices. You can make a left uh, and you can make a right. That's it. Well, if you make a right, like if you're going to, um, what is it, Isla Grand Park or, mm-hmm. or the public beach over there where the jetties is, immediately you'll encounter um, the KOA, the camping grounds for all of the, it's just just on the other side of uh, across the street from like where Schlitterbahn is. That's where we dock the boat. I'm assuming that that's the south side of the of the causeway. So I docked the boat there, and the boat was so new to me, and I had not taken it out um, many times before that we spent we literally spent about thirty minutes, forty five minutes messing with the boat because um, I was familiarizing myself with it. We leave there, basically where Pier 19 is. That's where we docked. And then we make our way north towards the bridge. And that's when we noticed that uh, that the lights were out. At this point, um, we decide to tie up to the pillar. The pillar itself that gets hit later um, The concrete pillar was just uh, just one that we picked because it was closest to the light. The light was radiating or emitting from the pier, the fishing pier, which is on the opposite side of the causeway. So we tied there so that we'd have a little bit of light. As far as where we were when the accident happened, well... We untied ourselves from the pillar and we drifted towards the pier. And we got to, I'm going to say maybe about level with the furthest uh, part of the pier out into the Laguna Madre. So the pier is just to our right and the bridge is to our left. The barge was coming from like where Pier 19 is, from the south side. That's when it hit. It was never, the barge was never on the north side. Okay. So I know that you had had a question or something. Yeah, so so once it hit, Mm -hmm. it collapsed. Where was the barge now, right after that? Immediately after that, the barge, the captain was trying to pull away, basically threw it in reverse and pulled away from it, uh, from a, from the bridge to the south. And the current brought it up, and it just kind of lingered there on the side of the bridge. So it was there the rest of the night? Or what happened to it? You know, that's, a, that's such a peculiar question. Um, I stayed on the north side of the bridge. So you really couldn't see it? Well, I could see the light that it was shining, but what you got to understand is that it was basically like a big tugboat pushing four barges. Okay. So the captain, wherever the vessel that's pushing those just solid masses is, uh, is way, way, way far away from me, four barge lengths plus the bridge. 
Um, so they pulled away from the bridge, and as they pulled away, the pillar, another pillar, just sank uh, and collapsed into into the into Laguna Madre. There was no weight other than the pillar itself because the the road had already fallen. Yeah, it was just a piece of the pillar that was still protruding out of the water. The barge must have pulled away and made his way back into and away from the bridge. Um, and we couldn't see it. It just wasn't wasn't uh, in view. Uh, the last that I remember, it had swung and became parallel with the bridge. Okay. And that's all I remember from there. After that, it was just the barge was a mute issue. Wow. You were talking about somebody shining a light to mm-hmm. to the sky. Who, what was that? Who was that? That was coming from the barge. That was coming from the barge. Yeah, okay. For, yeah, so. that was their attempt to signal or to shine some kind of light on the void. Okay. And um, I believe that as the boat moved, it got to an angle to where their spotlight or something couldn't get it because then they were just it was just shooting like a beam just onto nowhere uh, with no trajectory. Either they abandoned the efforts to kind of signal to get the boat out of uh, danger or from hitting something else. I don't know. I'd love, again, those are other people who I would love to reach out to and say, what what yeah. happened? And that's the thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to, to discover all these people and, and see if anybody out there can maybe help us find these people and track them down because we would love to have them on the podcast because at the end of this whole thing, it's just going to document everything that happened. That's and it. and, and it, it, I think it's that good of a story that should be told from different accounts. That Definitely. way it's just not your yeah, it's just account. Not, it's just not what I saw and remember. Yeah. Um, and the story stems to different stories and, and different... Uh, you know, conspiracy theories and, and all of these things have have risen from from this from that day. You know, I've had people tell me, you know, Rob, there's very little information about that night. Um, I've had people bring to my attention that um, that the entire crew of the vessel that evening were were drunk, and that the vessel was on an autopilot. I also have uh, had people tell me, how did you get in the water, man? Like, at night, there was a riptide. And and the ports were closed And the ports as well. were closed. All the boat docks were closed. Like, how did, how did they let you get in? I don't know, man. Like, it just, I was in. Um, so there have been some things. I'm curious to know, because I had never, and granted, I don't live there. I vacation there. Um, but I don't ever even remember seeing a lot of traffic of barges. Like, do they only do that at night? Yeah. Was that barge there because he was coming in because the Twin Towers had just gotten, you know, attacked? I don't know. So I would love to, again, talk to people and, and see what really happened. You know, years later, the captain of the vessel that hit the bar, that hit the, the causeway um, ended his own life. And he's not the only one. And either. he's not the only one. So touch on that, because that's that's very interesting. Um, from what I understand, uh, Pat Marchand uh, also, who was uh, involved not in the accident, but um, he was uh, politically in involved in that stuff, as far as the 
the Roland would be a better one to tell you this, but um, with the court, you know, with the litigation and stuff like that, my attorney, Frank Enriquez, our attorney, the attorney of the four fishermen, last year ended his own life too. This is the gentleman that would tell us there's a gag order on this thing. You can't talk about it. You can't write a book about it. You can't do anything about it. You have to. He's the one who basically held our hand through the whole court hearing. Mm -hmm. um, so there are stories, stories that, you know, Chris, the Coast Guard guy who jumped on the boat with us, who, who, who saw the panic in our eyes, you know, who sympathized for us and said, I got you, I'm going to, I'm going to leave my Coast Guard vessel and I'm going to jump on with you and we're going to, we're going to do this together. I'd love to look that guy in the eye and say, thank you. Cause we didn't. And we would have been, we literally had he not taken control. We'd have just been hovering there with 300 people on my boat until somebody said, Hey, come to us. Cause I would have never known to go to where the, you know, where Captain Murphy's um, or the dolphin watch or whatever it is there next to the causeway is. I would have never, it would have never occurred to me to go there. Um, he, uh, he took the lead, you know, he was like, let's do this, let's do this. And when they told us to take them to the Coast Guard station, he's the one who got me there. I, I wouldn't have known that it was there until that night I found that out. Yeah. So finding him would be, would be epic. Would be would be a super good conversation to have, and um, and again, I think that he will also attest that everybody on the boat was still talking about. There's a woman. We saw the woman. She's in the water. What do we do? And his concern was, we need to tend to these people. There are vessels out there that are searching for them right now. The lives on this boat are our priority. Which is another point I want to get to, but before that, this September 15th marks the 20 years, and there's a 20-year gag order. Mm -hmm. How are we able to talk about this now? Um, from what I understand, the 20-year gag order was um, implemented or, or put in because of some of the faults and some of the stuff that, uh, that they had going. Um, to be honest with you, I don't think that uh, the gag order is something that anybody's going to waste any time with anymore after 20 years. We're able to push this up because um, at this point with where our country's at and where things are going, um, I don't feel that uh, any court should be able to gag my freedom of speech and, um, and my right to share it with everybody. This isn't a view or a religion. It's their facts. They're my facts. Yeah. Um, so we are putting it out there in good faith that those who wish to gag it for whatever reason are either too old to care about it at this point or whatever stature of limitations that they were trying to cover have expired. Okay. Either way... I don't think anybody's out there trying to recover or to place blame anymore at this point. Healing has has happened. Um, lives have progressed. This story isn't uh, isn't meant for any kind of controversy or to store, stir up 
or muddy the waters, so to speak. It's just my story. Yeah. So that's why I, uh, that's why I, I was eager to tell it and share it. Yeah. Because enough's enough. Yeah. It's been twenty years. <laughs> twenty years. It's yeah. it's 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 been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, to say the least. To say the least. I remember you telling me a story when we were talking the first time about the fire chief. And I, I don't think we touched on that in the last podcast. No, we didn't. Um, what a lot of folks don't know is that Port Isabel's fire chief was actually one of the one of the people who lost his life in that fall. I find this out later um, that evening. So. <clears throat> Going back and revisiting the, the the current, it was super, super strong. And um, that Coast Guard vessel was enormous. So what had happened is that the frogmen, who are firefighters, and um, frogmen being the scuba gear, people, scuba divers, that'll go in and, you know, kind of, either try to rescue or salvage or whatever are on this larger vessel and they are eager and desperate to get to the crash site well there is an electrical line that ran or maybe still runs underneath the causeway when the slab of concrete fell, it severed that electrical line and a big, 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 long chunk was still very live. There was so much current going through this cable or this whatever that when it would hit the water, it would flash like if somebody put a flashlight into the water, like the finger of God was just touching the water and there was this huge white glow that would just, as quick as you saw it, it was gone. This was concerning because a lot of the boats in the water, um, like the Coast Guard vessel was a a big metal boat. And um, other smaller vessels uh, obviously have, you know, metal and different conductors and while you're in the water, this, was a big issue because nobody wanted to get near where the accident was. That, and aside from this gushing pipeline of water that was just cascading over the crash site and this electrical whip that was just live, um, instead of people wanting to get to the individual that came off the bridge and never hit the water that was just trapped on the pillar, Instead of wanting to go and try to rescue somebody who could have possibly been in an air pocket in their cars or who knows, um, they didn't. So when I got next to this larger vessel and I saw the scuba guys on him, um, I noticed them and they looked down at me and they said, will you take us there? And they were just livid. They were so vibrant (laughs) with anger because... The boat they were on wouldn't get them any closer. And I said, yeah, yeah, definitely jump on. And 
they threw their tanks onto the deck of my boat and they jumped down and these other guys on their boat like where are you going wait you can't get near there and and he just ignored him and said go 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 and we uh we gunned it boom and we went and there's a couple of dps boats that are kind of getting in our way not wanting us to get there and this guy in scuba gear is just pass him go go around him, go around him. i don't care we come to find out after we get to the crash site and he dives in that the little S10 or a red little Chevy pickup had flown over and, and, and this pickup was his concern on the way over. Did you see it? Did you see a red little truck? Did you see a truck? And, and honestly, we, it was a blur, you know, I, I don't remember. I remember uh, the red truck because we did see it and spoke of it. And I remember the red Mustang that Hector Mata was in. Um, their fire chief was in that truck and he perished that night. He died. They were so eager to get into the water because somebody they loved and respected and had spent countless nights in that firehouse with was dying or was already dead. He came up and um, said there's no rescue. This isn't a rescue anymore, guys. This is a this is a recovery. And peeled off his goggles and, and I could see how broken he was about whatever he had just seen under there. How long of a time frame was that already? Oh, he must have been underwater for eight, nine minutes. Wow. Maybe ten. And meanwhile... I'm floating on the surface, arguing with DPS troopers, telling me to get out of here. You got to get away. And just like blaring their horns at us and like they have their lights on. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm waiting for the guy to come up. He just and, and we're all moving. So it's the weirdest thing because the current is pulling us. And I'm like yelling at him, him being the trooper, while driving around him to get back to where I need to be so that when the guy comes up, he can climb onto the boat. And uh, finally that happens, and he looks at us and he says, uh, do you have any issues with me bringing a body onto your boat, a lifeless body on my boat? And I'm like, no, I don't. That's whatever you need to do. It didn't get to that. Um, as soon as the trooper readjusted his boat and came put next to us, um, he started conversing with the with the firefighter who was in his scuba gear and he jumped onto their boat and they dismissed us. Um, there was a lot of um, turmoil that night. There was no structure to that rescue. There was no protocol that was implemented. I don't even think there was a procedure or something that ever told anybody what to do in case that bridge was to collapse. It was it was just a cluster of boats everywhere with lights everywhere after everybody just started trickling to the water. Before you knew it, it looked like a Trump parade. Wow. Nothing but boats and from fishermen to locals to people looking for their lost ones on their, you know, like it was just a mess. 
by the time that we had to go deliver the people. I remember when you, you told me that the, the line snapped and it would hit the water and it would make a, just a blast, I guess, of light. Of light, yeah. It would, it would I don't know what it was, but th that, that cord would hit the surface of the water and it would flash and you could, you could for seconds see into the water. You could see some of the cars, some of the tires, you know, it was a, uh, for that split second, if you were in the right position, every time that cable would drop down and hit the water, the current would shoot it back up. But for that fraction of a second while it was touching the water, it was just, just a flash, like a camera flash, if you held it down to the surface of the water. And you can see ones. straight down. You could see down. You could see the... I remember bubbles more than anything. You could see the bubbles. I don't know if it was coming out from gas tanks filling up. You could see bubbles just like, like bubbles in a fish tank freaked me out for a year, a year and a half. Wow. Um, bubbles coming up, you know, to the surface. Just little things like that that would remind me of that night or the loss of life. At that point, when when you could see in the water, how many vehicles were in there? Every one of the vehicles by that time had already gone into the water. Um, nine, I think. Were they they piled on top of each other? Were they? they were. Wow. Yeah, they were uh, both piled on top of each other and um, and basically kind of just with their rear ends up, you wow. know, just off to one side and stuff. There was nowhere for them to go. Wow. That, uh, it, it's, it's bad, man. It's bad to see those things. It's, it's not, um, we're not all meant for that. It's yeah. a very haunting visualization. Yeah. And, and, and that's because you're visualizing Yeah. It was at one point in my life tangible. I could smell the gasoline floating on the water. Every time Roland or Leroy or I jumped into the water, we, we were jumping into a thin layer of gasoline first. Um, I'm going to use this as a prop, but in the movies, cars will fly off of a bridge or a pier, hit the water, and weave and bob and slowly go down. I've always told people that I think they take the motors out of those cars because the cars that flew off of the causeway that night were swallowed by the Laguna Madre and they never never had a chance. They didn't bob or weave. They didn't float for a few seconds. They came off and disappeared into the water. How deep is that water? From what I understand, it's really not that that deep it's probably only about 15 to 26 feet deep. oh wow okay yeah interesting so there's another part where where this story just it has so many legs to it. it it can go in so many different directions and i think one of the most interesting parts was the ending part and we're talking about the uh, the woman that was in the water mm -hmm. so what we're trying to do right now is we're going to get the affidavits because it's six, six affidavits, correct? Correct. Yeah. So she is alive on six affidavits and 
I think this is where where kind of people's it, it kind of turns people off or like wow this is it's one of two things. That's exactly right. That's it. it. It's either you have the palate for it and the faith for it, and you want to believe that, or it's just a complete turnoff and it killed the entire story for yeah. you. One way or another, doesn't matter to me. It, what matters to me is that we're going to file that Freedom of Information Act. We're going to get those affidavits that were written moments after the accident. And she's going to be there on affidavits that were given from individuals that were immediately separated. Um, I can't wait for that. I really can't wait for that because it's going to be um, bittersweet, yeah. you know, really bittersweet because I've had people laugh in my face and tell me, you know, like, oh, you had me until then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's rich. You know, yeah, no. Why Why would you even say that, Rob? Like, and the truth of the matter is, is because it's it's the truth. It's not something that I conjured up. And I think that had I been the only individual to have seen her, I don't think she would exist today. I would have dismissed it for uh, you know anything. I I'm not a religious person, man. Like I don't uh, I don't believe in a lot of that stuff. And still to this day, I don't practice my faith any different than I did. I'm I'm lazy in that sense. I hope God forgives me. But I saw what I saw. We saw what we saw. Um, that's proof enough for me that there is at least a divine motherly love. And we're we're tracking those down. We're just uh, finding it and getting the process of everything. It's it's going to take some time. But uh, like we always say, if if, if uh, you can help us yeah. expedite this, yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Because yeah. it's again, it's been archived for twenty years. In my mind, I want. I would love for you and I to find them, get Bridget in the chair and have her read it after 20 years. Yeah. Can you imagine how crazy that would be for me to be able to read right now to you what I wrote 20 years ago for Roland to do the same? That's the content I want to create here because it's going to be the emotion that we will give you reading that out loud here it's it's gonna it's gonna warm people and it's gonna irk people and and i think that that's the that's the hook that's yeah. what gets you back um i'm eager to find them i'm eager to hold them and read them because she's there we all say it. we all it, it's not it's not bullshit for lack of a better term yeah that night us being there had to happen that way i am utterly convinced that we were meant to be there if you follow us if you follow me i'll make you disciples of men pastor hyde said this to us i mean fishers of men <clears throat> the decisions we made to not stop put gas to stop at the quick stop bake shop um, which is that's another person we can reach out to yeah um, my wife all of a sudden all the wives just all of a sudden being kind of like yeah you know what just go we don't want to hear it go and um, just the way things came together that evening the dock was closed 
the rip current. My sister Olivia called me at 10 o'clock. I take it back, called my sister, called my wife. My sister Olivia called my wife at 10 o'clock, had just watched the news and said, did Robert go fishing after all? And Judy, my wife, said, yes. Yeah, he's out there now, actually. And she said, I'm going to call him. There's a rip current. There's a small craft advisory. No boats are supposed to be on the water. He needs to get out of the water. Sure enough, she calls me. My wife calls me and tells me this. Hang up with, with Judy. And immediately after Olivia, my sister calls. Did Judy call you? I said, I've been through this with her. We're not leaving. I'm looking at the water. It's amazing. It's not choppy at all. And it wasn't. We're going to stick around. Well, sure enough, the choppiness came in or whatever current or tide that turned. Before long, while we were anchored, we realized, yeah, it's choppy now, guys. By the time the first car went over the bridge, it was bad. It wasn't flat surface. It wasn't, you know, calm. It was It was an ugly night. Now, this was also towards the middle of the night, around what time? I'm going to say about 1, one o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, this was, this was already in the early morning hours, definitely after midnight. Wow. Yeah. There is um, there's a lot of visual aids that uh, once you upload them, and you post this and people are going to see what the drop was and people are going to be able to kind of visualize where we are i think they're going to have a way a way um broader sense of or clear sense of what happened that night and how how really really tragic it was that more people weren't saved what do you what do you feel that that people should get out of this out of this story? I mean, it's twenty years. It's been with you every single day. You recount it every single day. What do you hope that specifically the Rio Grande Valley? Because it's an interesting part too. You know, we have winter Texans here all the mm-hmm. time, right? Yeah. My my dad plays with the country band, and he knows a lot of them. My mom befriended a lot of them, and she started sharing this with them, and they're super interested in this piece of. Rio Grande Valley history. Yeah. What do you hope that the Rio Grande Valley people, the residents, what do you hope they get from this story? Um, that's a good question. I guess the biggest uh, the biggest message I'd like to give, I guess, to mainly my kids. Whoever else receives it, I hope they receive it well. But there's a hero in everybody, in all of us. And it's innate in us. That's why when somebody pulls up to you and you're pumping gas or something and they say, um, hey, man, do you know how to get to such and such a golf course or such and such dance hall? Most of us are eager to help. Oh, yeah, man, I got you. Look, you're going to go this way. And then you know what? If there's somebody with you. They'll even jump in, even though they weren't even asked. Hey, no, 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 wait a minute, man. The traffic down that way is sucks. You better go. Oh, you know what? You're right. We all want to be a part of helping. We all want to be of use. I was selfish that night. I didn't want to get anywhere near that accident. And I can say that humbly today. Had it not been for Roland and his 
courage to tell me like, hey, whatever happens, happens. But we need to help. I heard that. Regardless of what my brain was thinking, regardless of what my heart wanted to do, I heard him and it, it rang true. We need to help. And maybe help isn't, maybe help isn't uh, saving people who fell off a bridge. Maybe help is, uh, you know, giving a, 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 an overdue compliment to a child or to a son or to, to a spouse. You know, we need to help each other. And that's what I want them to understand. And, and that's the message I want to bring out. There's a hero in all of us, man. And you, you might just be a hero by inspiring, a, you know, somebody, a friend to venture off into a new business or to quit a shitty job. But do things with positivity in your heart and things will work out. You cannot get anything bad out of positive effort. And that's, I think you're, you're serving the right message because now, right now, especially the times that we're living in, there needs to be that positivity that's out there. We long for it, man. Yeah. We want it. It's overdue. And it's I, overdue. I, I feel like something's brewing in, in the world. Like something, something's off. Yeah, it's definitely off. It's, uh, it's off its keels because um, of everything that we're going through as a unit. You know, with COVID specifically, um, we're all living the same life, basically, on different levels of comfort, but we're all quarantined. We're all segregated from our loved ones. We're all living in fear. We're all being forced to live under this cloud. If you and I can bring any kind of sense of positivity or of hope or of uh, just a feel-good story, then it's bringing something positive to somebody. There's a lot of negativity around this story, a controversy. I, I, I would say between the competence and lack of a plan, there were there were lives lost. Um, and that's the ugly part of the story. But every story has, you know, I think it has a, a, a longing to be told because there's a, there's a message in it, you know, whether it's breaking the rules sometimes and getting into the water is uh, could lead to positive things, to just sometimes, you know, falling asleep at the wheel, so to speak, of life leads to negative things. I want people to understand that when you're faced with an opportunity to pull over and help somebody who has been in a car accident or who needs a couple of bucks or when you're inspired to compliment somebody or offer them praise, that's necessary. And if you feel it and you don't do it, how dare you? Shame on you. Yeah. Well... Roland felt that need to go help. And for whatever reason, he deposited it into me. I didn't have it. When I was asked while we were under the bridge, Robert, what would you do if the car started falling into the water? I said, shit, not me, man. Unless it's my mom or somebody I know, I ain't risk, I ain't jumping in. Roland introduced me to a person I didn't know I was. So if this podcast and this production 
finds somebody and introduces that person to someone that they didn't know in themselves, well, then shit, it served a good purpose. That's worth it. It's definitely worth it. Yeah. So um, I think that's kind of my urgency, just to share. And I think also what we're trying to get, like Roland on and all these other people, we keep running into some um, something. We yeah. always run into something. And I think it's just the fact that we're trying to push this out and, and it might be the wrong time because of everything that's going on in the valley but there's always going to be something that comes up but we're going to keep going we're going to keep going and i think uh we're going to exhaust our resources to try to get this out and um one of the things that i'm doing on, on and we're both actually doing is we're pushing this out with advertising and and i'll be super transparent about that because i do want this story to reach out to Definitely. a lot of people and i think it, it has all the right elements to be able to to push people away from everything that's going on. Correct. And yeah. I think that's why I'm so behind a story because I crave that. Yes. I, I crave to be able to take my mind somewhere else because of all the shits that's going on. Exactly. Man. Like you nailed it because reality is too much right now. If we can, I tell my kids, um, we time travel all the time and they, they, they freak out with me and I tell them, time traveling is real, Sochi, my daughter. I said, now explain it to you in this fashion. If you're sad right now, you're just utterly sad and hurt or mad, I promise you, it's because you're focusing on something that already happened, which puts it in the past. If you're riddled with anxiety and you're just afraid and you're nervous, I promise you, you're thinking about the future. That's to me, it's time travel. You, you, you think so intensely on something that happened to you already that it emanates that, that feeling again, man. You start feeling the same hurt or disappointment that you felt years ago or last week or 30 minutes ago, and you focus so much effort on that that it, it, it manifests in the now, and you feel it now. You're trapped in the past, baby. And I said, and then when you're worried about that test, and school now sucks, and what if I don't graduate, Dad? I'm a senior. This is going to change this. Baby, baby, baby. You're in the future. You're, way, you're miles and miles and miles in the future. And when you do that, you take away from the now. Well, I told you all of that to tell you, I guess my eagerness to tell this story is so that I can leave it in the past finally. And when I would worry about not telling it or it not getting out right, it always kept me worried about the future. I think that by me getting this out, and by me maybe getting everybody together that lived it, everybody can finally put it to rest. Um, I really, really do believe that this podcast and people listening to it are going to find more value in the undertow of the story than value of the knowledge of what happened that night. And I think that's why it flows so well. Yeah. So you keep doing what you're doing. Let's put some money behind the advertising, like you said. 
because people deserve to hear it. Yeah. Because it's a good story. And it gives us both a glimpse of the past and hopefully after you hear it, you feel a little bit better about the future. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, so stay tuned for the next ones. We're Like I said, we're going to keep trying to get these people on. And uh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we're going to keep on we're hammering it. We're having a blast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I love I love talking with you, brother. So. Awesome. I'm here every day whenever you need me. You got you, man. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye, guys. Bye.